to Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13, as we continue in the Gospel of Luke. Listen now to the word of the Lord, which again is spoken to you, his people. Jesus also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, He said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches. And if you have not been faithful in what, in what, in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you are so good to us and you give us words to refresh and words to convict and words that are sometimes hard to understand. So we pray that this word would be made clear that you would do this even through the Holy Spirit and that through the course of this sermon, your word would be spoken and that our hearts would draw near to Christ. For we desperately need him. We pray this in his name. Amen. Your money matters to Jesus. In fact, money, possessions, wealth, things, they are the topic that Jesus returns to over and over again in the Gospel of Luke. Now, you've seen this, right? As we've been working our way How long has it been? I think maybe a year, a little over a year now, maybe more. Boy, time flies. I'll say that. But while we've been moving through the gospel of Luke, what have we seen over and over again? We've seen Jesus pointing us to rich men who are wrestling over their possessions. 
You know, you even hear the name uh, to which this book, this um, gospel is addressed, Theophilus. And there's reason to think that this is, he is himself a rich man who lives among rich men. And so here comes Luke time and time again, pointing Theophilus and the readers of this gospel to rich men who are wrestling with what to do with their possessions. But then Jesus also points us to poor men, poor people who are searching for true riches. Many of Jesus's parables are concerned with money. 16 of his 39 parables in the Gospels are concerned with your material possessions. And when you put all this together, it's clear your money matters to Jesus. And so it's not surprising that Jesus once again circles back to this topic of money. What do we see in chapter 15? We saw the compassion of God for lost sinners. We saw that lost and found box of the Bible and how, how God pursues lost sinners. He, he rescues us. He redeems us. He wins our hearts. And as the scene opens in chapter 16, we see that that same rescue mission that saves our souls, it also redeems our wallets. It also reaches to our bank accounts in our, pur- in our purses. It changes the way we view and see our possessions. Friends, Jesus invites you this morning to adopt his perspective on your things, on the things that you own. And we're going to see that his perspective is actually wrapped up in eternity itself. Well, he takes us there through a really unconventional parable. That's to say the least. This is, this is one of the trickiest parables in the Gospels. And I'll, I'll just be, I want to make clear right up front. This was hard this week. You know, I spent a lot of time looking at this. But let's look at this parable. I think, I think it deserves us just leaning in and, and breaking it down and looking at it. And then, then let's turn to look at the principles that flow from this parable. Well, the parable begins with a manager who has squandered away his rich employer's money. In fact, that word squandered, the, the, he, he wasted it away, it's the same word to describe what, what the son, the younger son did in the parable of the prodigal son. He just wasted it. He's been reckless with the company credit card. He's tucked away cash from the business left and right until finally, you know, he, boss calls him into his office. Air is tense, and the message is simple. You're fired. Hand in the accounting books and take your leave. You've messed up. I can't have a manager who wastes my money. Have you ever been fired from a job? It's not enjoyable. And, you know, having to be told you're fired is is hard enough. But then that sinking question comes in, what do I do next? That's what this guy is wondering right at the beginning of this parable. He says, I can't dig in the fields. I've, I've had a desk job for years. You know, I've got carpal tunnel from writing, you know, in the books. I can't go work in the fields. I'm not physically fit for that. And then he says, but I don't want to beg either. I don't want to beg on the street. So, and that's when it hits him. A plan, a clever plan. And it's not a particularly ethical plan, But you have to admit, wow, this guy, 
a light bulb just went off over his head. What does he say? He says, I still have those accounting books. I still have the books that list all the debts owed to my master and how much is owed. And so, genius idea that this fired manager has, he calls in all the people who owe his master money. And of course, they don't know yet that he's been fired. He's in this little limbo where he hasn't turned in the books. And so on his way to turn in the books, he he says, quick, quick, come in all you people who owe my master money and let me show you some kindness on behalf of my master. How much do you owe, friend? Oh, a hundred measures of oil. Did we really charge you that? Let's, let's cut that down a bit. Sit down quickly and write 50. Ah, friend, I see that we, we have you owing a hundred measures of wheat. Well, take your bill and quickly write down 80. And don't forget that I did this for you, you know, out of my kindness and behalf of my manager. Today, this would be like taking a $70,000 student debt and whoever's in charge of that loan just cuts it in half. And, you know, or, or, or really, it's down to like $50,000 or $30,000. Know, an incredible cut in this loan. What is this guy doing? What is this manager doing? He is making friends with his master's money. It's cunning, it's clever, it's, it, it is not very ethical, but this is what he's doing. He's using his master's money, the, these debts owed to his, his master, to, to cut them off so that all of these guys who used to owe the full sum will remember him once he's been fired. They'll say, I remember you, I remember what you did. Of course you can take a job in my home. Of course you can stay here for an evening. Well, how will the master respond? You can picture this dishonest manager slinking into the master's office. He's got a clever grin. He hands over the books and the master's eyes grow wide as he sees what his employer has done. But then something shocking happens. The punchline of the parable. The master doesn't curse him. He doesn't punish him. He commends him. I have to hand it to you. You're a scoundrel. You are a cheat, but you sure are resourceful. Now, that's where the parable ends. That's where the curtain closes. Now, what on earth is Jesus trying to teach us with this? Is he calling us to be crooks? There was a a non-Christian, an unbeliever in the early church. His name is Julian the Apostate. He said, yeah, that's exactly what this is teaching. You know what this is saying? This is saying that Christians are encouraged to cheat and just be, you know, you're, you're all cheats. Jesus told you to be cheats. But I don't think that's exactly what Jesus is teaching. In fact, it's far from it. Jesus tells us what he means. He gives us three principles to work out this parable. And you'll see at some points, some of these principles, he actually says, you need to be like this steward. But then in other points, he says, you need to be very, very different from this steward. Well, let's look at these principles now. First, Jesus says, be shrewd spenders. Be shrewd with your money. Use the resources you have right now 
to store up blessings for the future, even blessings, especially blessings for the world to come. Okay, what's, what's commendable about this con man? What is, what is praiseworthy about this dishonest manager? Is it that he's dishonest with his money? No, because we've heard over and over again, even in the Proverbs this morning, be faithful with your money. Be good users of your money. Don't deceive people. No, what the master commends about this servant, what Jesus commends is that he's shrewd. That means he's resourceful. He looks beyond the present moment. And he uses his resources at his disposal to secure his earthly treasures. See what he does? He uses money as a means. That's the same shrewdness we see all over the world today, all over the, the markets and businesses, all over unbelieving lives as we look around. Just look at the money sharks at Wall Street. Watch how they wheel and deal the stock exchange to maximize their future gains. Look at those guys a couple months ago, remember, who, who uh, uh, they, uh, they shorted the stock on GameStop and, and they, they, uh, they won out. Many of them won that deal. And what did they do? They used their current resources as a means. They used the market as a means to pay beautifully for the future. Now, if only Christians were half as resourceful with how we use our money to prepare for heaven. We have to admit it. It's hard to be shrewd with our possessions because when you get to the heart of the problem, we love the Lord, but here's the problem. We love our money too. And so we're, 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 and, and we're stuck between these two kingdoms, the kingdom of heaven in which we are called to lock our eyes on what is to come, but then we also live in the kingdom of this world in which we have our eyes locked on our money and our possessions. They get shuffled around in between these. So often, we have our eyes not locked on the future, but on the present of our possessions. Now, look at what Jesus says in verse 9. He says, The sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their generation than the sons of light. See, this is what I'm saying. Jesus is saying that the unjust managers of this world are so often more resourceful than believers. The con men of this world often outshine the church in the way that they are able to direct money to goals. Think about this, friends. Heaven is right around the corner. Heaven is soon. It's on the horizon. But so often we spend our money in the moment like this present world is all there is. How about this? Our wealth is going to fail us. Did you notice that in our text? It it doesn't say when your wealth fails you, when your possessions fall through, or, or it doesn't say if, but it says when. You can't take it with you. You've heard that over and over again. And we all know this, that there will come a time when we depart from this life and everything that is in uh, the Egyptians' tombs, all the gold, all the riches, everything in your bank account, 
You have to leave it behind. And yet so often we live in ways that hoard our stuff like we really can take it with us, like we really can pack it into a U-Haul and take it with us to glory. One more thing to sit on. The kingdom of God is on the move towards lost and needy sinners. And yet, so often we spend our money to promote another kingdom, the kingdom of self, the empire of self. We, we pour our money into all the things we want right now and right here. And Jesus says in this parable, hold on, here's the point. We should show even greater care in securing investments in heaven than an unbeliever shows in securing investments for this life. Money is messy. Jesus calls it unrighteous wealth because it is always always tied up in in the mess and unrighteousness and sin of this world. But Jesus says that God wants you. He wants to work through your money. He wants to work through your resources for his glory, to his end, reaching all the way to the blessedness of the reward in heaven. Now, now let me be very clear. Jesus is not teaching salvation by money management. Jesus is not teaching the prosperity gospel. But Jesus is saying, and we see this all over the New Testament, that there is something of a reward in heaven for how we handle God's things here on earth. There is something of a gracious sweetness that comes when we have lived as Christians who have been, who have lived for eternity. And this reaches even to our things. Jesus says in verse nine, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Use money to advantage the kingdom of God. Now, what does that look like? How do we do that? And here's where we reach our second principle. And here's where Jesus starts drawing a contrast with the unjust manager. He's, he showed you to be shrewd, to use your money, to capitalize on all the opportunities before you in God's kingdom. But now he says, the way you're going to do that is you're going to actually be faithful stewards. Be shrewd spenders, now be faithful stewards. And we see that in verses 10 through 12. Jesus calls you to faithfulness with his funds. Now, now look at this. Over and over again in verses 10 through 12, we hear that call to faithfulness with the things we own. Faithfulness. Now think about what that means, because this is profound. This changes everything about how you see your money. Faithfulness means that your money isn't really yours. Faithfulness means that your home isn't really yours. Your clothes aren't yours. It all has a name tag on it that is not yours. It says, this belongs to God. You are stewards, friends, not owners. Whoa, that that changes a lot. Do you see how that changes everything about your possessions? Kids, Imagine that your parents give you $10 for lunch and they say, no, this is my money, my hard-earned money, but I'm going to give this to you to use it for lunch. Now, you take it down 
to the store and you get whatever you want, whatever's good and healthy for you, but don't spend it on candy. And imagine you go there, you're, you're, you're eyeing it, and what, what is it that keeps you from grabbing that candy and guzzling it up and spending all that money on gummy worms and suckers? It's that that money doesn't really belong to you. It's mom and dad's. And so you stop and you say, oh, they told me to use it for a reason. That's what God wants us to do with everything we own, all the material possessions we own. Now let me propose that we either see our wealth, we either see our resources as a piggy bank or a pipeline. Keep those two images in your mind. We're going we're to visit them. Because they, they show us two radically different ways that we can see our resources. Imagine that you see your resources as a piggy bank. You have the image of a piggy bank in your mind. Um, what do you do with a piggy bank? You stuff things in it. And over time, it, it adds up. It's like this container. And the questions you come when uh, you, you bring with you as you come to the piggy bank are, how much stuff can I collect in here? How much money can I store up in case I need it on a rainy day? And there the money sits in that piggy bank for weeks and weeks and months and months and until finally it gets so full you can't get anything else in there and you break it and then what do you do? You go and you, you spend it on, on that, that thing, that the, you know, the, um, the new video game you've been envisioning. But Jesus says we need to see our money through a different lens. We need to see our resources like a pipeline. Like a channel. What's a, what's a pipeline? It's like a big pipe that runs across states and, and nations. And, 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 and what does it do? It carries things to and fro and, and sorts them over the world. You see your wealth as a channel which directs God's gifts for his glory. When you see your resources as a pipeline that goes towards, towards people and goes towards, um, towards movements that God supports and calls you to support, you know what you get to do? You get to watch your money do things of eternal consequence. Your money becomes a means for the most important reality. Salvation of souls, the redemption of the universe. You get to see unrighteous wealth carted off through your generosity, through your giving to places where it is needed so that the gospel of God can reach places that are in darkness, that are enslaved to money. What does that look like? What does it look like to use your resources as a pipeline, as a channel for kingdom advancement? Well, first it does, it looks like giving your offerings to the church to promote the continued advance of the gospel here in Dayton and around the world. And let me just pause here to encourage you because First Street, you are doing very well with this. We are so grateful and encouraged every time your, um, your elders meet. We're blown away by what you're doing and you're giving. You're giving of your time. You're giving of yourselves. You're giving of your money. Keep this up. But let me push you a bit because that's what the word of God does. It pushes us even when we're we're saying, wow, we're doing well with this. It pushes us to greater and greater um, demonstrations of submission to God in all areas of life. And so let me push you 
to expand your vision a bit wider as to what it looks to use your resources as a pipeline for the kingdom of God. That old baby crib that you have in the basement that's just sitting and getting dust on it. What if you gave it to a young couple who just had their first little one? The stimulus money sitting in your bank account looks really nice right now. What if you set some of it aside for hospitality and discipleship? What if you welcomed neighbors into your lives so that you could share the blessings of the Lord with them? That car sitting in your garage, in your driveway, what if you used it to take people to worship? What if you drove people not only to, to befriend them and talk to them about the gospel as you, as you drove, but to use your gas, your extra gas money to bring people to hear the gospel? See, here's the point. When you're generous with the resources God has given you, you get to be a channel of his generosity. You get to be a living picture of God's charity towards sinners. And in doing so, you get to make friends for eternity. As God uses your resources to draw people towards Jesus, you get to see people laying a hold of the true riches of heaven. And so even when you do something simple, like giving up something that you don't need, that is not the gospel, but that is a picture that can be leveraged by God for the gospel. It's a picture of God's charity and generosity towards sinners flowing from your heart out to your resources and to a needy world. So God calls us to faithfulness with our riches. But you say, Pastor, hold up a minute. I have so little. I can't do any of these things you've just described. So why are you, why are you preaching this to me? How can I be a pipeline for God's kingdom reach when I don't have much to send through that pipeline? But, but listen to this. Jesus has already anticipated that. He's already met you there. Because look at what he says in verse 10. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. You see, Jesus already knows. He's speaking to disciples who have given away everything to meet him. They have very little to give. So what does it look like to be faithful in little so that you can be faithful in more and more and more and more? Well, it looks, first of all, like saving, like actually taking saving money seriously so that you can be able to give. It means learning about managing your finances so that you can give more freely. But it also means being generous with whatever you have here and now. Food, you have, you have an extra sandwich for lunch and you've eaten to the full. You have an opportunity to give generously. An extra blanket that you have, an, an extra shampoo bottle, whatever it is that you pick up and collect, you have something to give. Even your time and talents, we haven't even gone down that road. Think about that. All the time that you have to use as a resource, all the talents that you have to be leveraged for God's kingdom. So let me ask you two questions as you think about being called to be faithful stewards. If someone followed the paper trail of your spending, would they conclude that God has made a difference? Would they peg you as a person who is faithful with your master's possessions? 
Let me ask you another question. Are you as prayerful with your wealth as you are careful with your wealth? Do you start, is, is the first thing you go to is, is a Dave Ramsey article. You know, what's my, next, what's my next baby step? Baby steps are good. I like them. They're very helpful. But prayer is more important. Prayer is where we must begin with our money, with, in our, with our things, in our furniture, in our clothes. We have to say, Lord, this is yours. How do you want me to use it? And then we go. Then we go to, to these other important matters. Friends, our faithfulness, as, our faithfulness as stewards today will make that final day all the more sweeter when we hear that rewarding voice of our master saying, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. That's cool. That's really cool. Now notice what Jesus is doing here. This brings us right into our third and final point. Jesus is not just reaching for your wallet. He's not just involving himself in your bank account. While he's doing all this, he's actually reaching for your heart. He's actually meeting you in another area of your lostness. Because Jesus calls you, it's our third and final point, to be servants who surrender. Servants who surrender. We see this in verse 13. What does Jesus want as he reaches for our wallets? What does he want as he calls us to, to faithful stewardship and shrewd acting with our money? He wants your allegiance. He wants your devotion. And isn't money one of the hardest areas to show that to him? We say, Jesus, you can have it all. You can, you know, you can... Of course I submit to your lordship. Of course I submit to you as savior. But just don't, don't tell me to, to give this money to, to those people. Don't tell me to use this for something other than what I really want right now. Don't go there, Jesus, please. But Jesus says, verse 13, you cannot serve both God and money. They are two very different masters. One is cruel and he demands and he demands and he sucks up your time and your money. And he, what does he use it for? What does the God of mammon use your money for? For your own selfish kingdom. When you look at your money, it's really a mirror. You don't love it because it feels nice and crisp and green. When you look at your money, you love it because it's like a mirror that says, you can be who you want to be with what I can offer. I can offer you so much. But God says, don't go there. Serve me. Give what you have, whatever it is, even if it's little, it belongs to me. And your act of, of, of submitting to me and surrendering it to me is an act of devotion recognizing me as your true and greater master. These are Jesus's calls to a world that is entrapped in money. So who is this guy? Who is this teacher who can call you to surrender your hard-earned money? Who is this Jesus who comes along and who gives him the right to rifle through your wallet and tell you how to direct your funds. 
but he's only your master. He's only your, your savior. He is the one who surrendered the riches of heaven to die on a cross and to rise from the tomb and to lavish you with true riches of heaven at his own expense. This savior used the riches of his heavenly privilege to make friends with poor and needy sinners. Sinners like you and me. He made friends with us for eternity. And now he calls you to surrender everything to him. He calls you to look by faith to him, to find your delight in the treasures of salvation. Friends, only when we, when we do that, only when we find our treasures in Jesus, will we really find the freedom to loosen our grip on our money. Only then will we be able to steward our stuff for God's glory. Look to this master. He is kind and he offers you so much more than the riches of this world. Let's go to him in prayer. Lord, we pray that we would be faithful stewards. That we would learn even from the shrewdness of the businessmen of this world, even from unbelievers. That we would be convicted by how little we direct your money. But Lord, in the end, we would be faithful with it. May this be recognized by a watching world and may it be a testimony and a witness to the grace of your Lord Jesus Christ in whose name we pray, amen.